0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're going to be talking about corn leaf diseases and fungicides. So if you've got any questions for us about that, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Now, if you don't raise corn, let me just put it this way. Many of these same diseases that you'll find in corn are very similar to diseases that there are in other crops and a lot of the fungicides we're going to talk about today get used on a wide variety of crops. So even if you don't raise corn, a lot of what we're going to talk about today absolutely applies to you. We're going to get to your questions a little bit later in the Ag PhD mailbag. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, if you've got a question. You can also find us on Twitter, AgPHD Media, or Brian Hefty. So my brother Darren's out traveling today. You got me. Uh, doing the show solo today, but we'll talk corn, leaf diseases, and fungicides throughout the show. Let me start you with this. The disease that I am most worried about is tar spot because tar spot has been a terrible yield robber throughout The central corn belt, I would call it, the north central corn belt maybe, where the temperatures are just a little bit cooler. It doesn't seem like this disease thrives real well when it's super hot. Now, you might say, well, we just had 100 degrees here in the last couple of days. Yeah, what we're talking about is what kind of the average temperature is, looking at the lows and all that kind of thing. But there are a lot of good fungicides out there, so we're going to get to that today. Actually, I do have my brother Darren calling in right now. Uh, Darren, tar spot. So, have you seen much of this at all in any of the fields that you've been scouting in over the last couple of years?
1: Well, no, not in not in our home geography. But you know, this is one of those things uh, when you get a little bit further east from where our farm is, it's been out there since twenty fifteen. So, yeah, it's it's certainly something that growers are concerned about. And what I I've been more interested in is what has been the effort of seed breeding companies to get new hybrids developed because they've got tolerant hybrids to tar spot that are down in mexico and central america so that gives me hope that oh we can get something figured out here or we could bring some of those genetics cross them with genetics we've already got but so far all their efforts have been failures crossing uh that more tropical germplasm with the germplasm that we're using in the upper Midwest now. So do I think there's a long-term solution there? We're going to have much more tolerant hybrids. Yes, but they aren't out there yet. There are some differences, but still hybrids are susceptible to tar spot. It's more of a question of how much pressure is there going to be that year and in that particular geography. So best thing you can do is treat early with fungicides, I mean, obviously crop rotation helps too, but treat early with fungicides and then keep after it because I think there's a misunderstanding with fungicides that if you apply one, just because it may have cost you 20 or even $30, that you should be good for the rest of the year. That's not the case. Fungicides are only going to protect the leaf tissue that they cover, and they're only going to last for maybe up to three weeks. So they don't last forever. So do, pre- do be prepared to treat early. And very likely, treat often.
0: Well, I sure hope nobody's spending $30 an acre. Now, 30 by the time you figure the application, well, it's, yes.
1: It's, it's the application cost. That's the thing, is that in many cases, growers are hiring an airplane or maybe hiring a custom app rig that, that can get high if they don't have a high clearance rig themselves. So it, it could end up costing more. Now, here's the other thing. You don't have to spend that much. There are good products that cost less. Exactly. There are some rebate programs you can get in to save significant dollars on some of these fungicides so take advantage of those talk with your retailer about
0: that yeah and I I would just say when we're talking early BSF's got a pretty good slogan five feet time to treat that's about the right timing that we're talking about for tar spot and you might say well that's pretty early and I mean the corn's not tasseled yet or anything else look it does not take long for corn to go from five feet tall to tassel A lot of times that's going to happen within 10 days to two weeks. So like Darren said, you're going to have maybe three weeks worth of protection with a fungicide. Now granted, you're not going to protect any leaves that aren't out yet, but at least you'd be able to protect the ear leaf when you've got five foot tall corn. The big thing is you just want to get good spray coverage. Well, you can get a little better coverage on that ear leaf when the corn isn't quite at full height. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that that second application then would work out pretty well once you're at full tassel starting to and and uh. silk you're at R1 basically. So It should work out okay, so you've got good timing for tar spot, a little on the early side maybe, but we want to be early rather than late, and then for some of those diseases that are going to enter in later on, potentially gray leaf spot, southern rust, northern corn leaf blight, eye spot, a lot of those later. And the big thing I look at is, what's the value of the crop? If I have $3 corn, and I have today's prices for fungicide and application everything else— I'm not nearly as excited about spraying as when I have $8 corn or $7 corn. So I'm just saying economics should always enter this picture. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, oh, because we think we're going to be rich, we should just spray automatically on everything and pull the trigger on everything. No, no way. we got to use our heads a little bit and say, all right, am I in an area where I can have disease issues? Have I been getting rainfall? Do I have good yield potential? and then there's a better chance that fungicide is going to pay. All right, so Darren, as we start off the show today, anything else that uh, that you wanted to bring up?
1: Well, one of the things that I've been talking to growers about lately is just staging their crops and knowing what leaf stage you're at, whether it's corn or soybeans or whatever, because that is going to determine your spray dates with a lot of these products that are getting used. Obviously, we want to try and target smaller weeds, and and get after stuff as early as we can. But right now, Brian, the thing I'm probably concerned about the most is some of the Dicamba products getting sprayed so late. Even where they are labeled, even where they have a crop safener, that doesn't mean they aren't gonna have volatility issues potentially. And uh, I was just talking to a landowner who doesn't farm, and she said, we had spray drift on our farm from Dicamba. How is this happening? And it happened to be a cornfield that was right next to them last year and somebody sprayed the corn late. So just be cautious. Don't don't just worry about the bean application. Worry about corn
0: too. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, Diflex, status, they have safeners, but I'm just going to put it this way. In most areas, it's way too late to be spraying dicamba in corn. You're going to end up with drift or volatility, so be careful. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: This is
3: Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight.
4: Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact eMERGE planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground.
2: It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it depends on what you put in, and Corteva AgriScience gets that.
4: Get low rates and high yields with Spray Tech fertilizers. Yes, get low rates and high yields with Spray Tech's Full Tech, the most complete adjuvant on the market. FullTech offers burn control, better fixation on leaves, better homogenization in the tank mix, drift control, better spreadability, and more. Full Tech is changing the way you treat your crops. Get higher yields and more money in your bank account with FullTech from Spray Tech.
5: Ask your local retail for Full Tech adjuvant or visit SprayTech.com for more details
4: in a world of Veltima fungicide.
0: Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide.
4: Okay, Veltima fungicide.
0: No, that's literally the same.
4: Veltima fungicide.
0: Still doing it.
4: Veltima fungicide does it.
0: Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide, swift, simple, and secure.
4: Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer.
0: Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. This Saturday, we've got our Scouting and Scholarships event coming up, giving away over 60 post-secondary or college scholarships this Saturday. Just go to agphd.com to learn more about that. Right now, we're going to talk a little fungicide and corn leaf diseases. First on, we've got Scott Johnson with us. He's from over in Illinois and with the Basgro, an agronomist with them. Scott, how are you today?
6: Doing good, Brian. How are you
0: doing? Excellent. All right. So what are the top one or two corn leaf diseases you're concerned about in your area this summer?
6: Yeah. So I'm actually in North Central Iowa. So that... Uh, oh, um, I
0: got the wrong information for you. All right. So, not, no okay. So North Central Iowa, what diseases are you concerned about there?
6: Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of set up this year uh, with, with the, the, the heat and humidity that we've had. It's great growing conditions for the crop. Uh, but probably a, a, you know, a couple things we're looking at. Probably we're going to see probably a higher incidence of gray leaf spot this year, uh, and northern corn leaf blight. You know, kind of two standard diseases. I don't know you call standard, but you know, pretty common for the yes. corn belt. Yep. Uh, but both of those diseases, we you know, we're going to have you know higher temperatures, higher humidity. Uh, we got cooler nights uh, as of yet, so we're getting some some you know long periods of, of heavy dews in the morning so kind of a pretty good environment for that both those diseases to, to kind of get teed up um so we'll be looking at, at those as we go forward we're still a little bit ahead of it for the most part here in this part of iowa uh most of our crop is still going to be or it's getting to that V7 b eight stage just getting ready to hit that really rapid growth stage here so yeah that uh, there's gonna be something we're gonna be, be kind of playing a, a close eye on here as we go forward um so, and, and probably the one that's that's the outlier here. And I call it outliers. I mean, everybody talks about is, is tar spot. Yeah, uh, it's obviously the other one that's for this part of Iowa. It's still kind of an unknown as far as the impact of it. We know we've 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 seen the lesions last year. We know we got the inoculum out there. Uh, it's just kind of depending on, you know, we're trying to figure out what that thing is going to be like here as it becomes more prevalent.
0: All right. So let's go back to the two diseases that are more common in your area, the gray leaf spot, the northern corn leaf blight. What have you found in the past for the best timing on a fungicide application to get those under control without having a bunch of yield loss?
6: Yeah. So for the most part, we're still going to be looking at that that, that tassel to R1. Uh, it's going to be where we're going to be timing uh, for the most part that's that anymore that's 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 kind of the standard timing that's that's still where we'll be at that's where we can uh, you know we're going to keep that factory healthy as it goes into the grain fill now uh, where it can maximize and, and utilize uh whatever inputs it needs uh, efficiently to, to feed that here and into into uh maintain plant health and sustainability and intactness.
0: So have you found many farmers in your area doing this application themselves with a ground rig, or is just about all of it done with a plane or helicopter?
6: It's mostly anymore. It's it's mostly aerial, but there are are several, you know, there are still ground rigs that that are out there. Uh, Both are very viable. Uh, We've seen good results from both. Uh, But yeah, it's it's, it's first, for the most part, it's still been mostly, mostly aerial.
0: Have you had more guys expressing interest in spraying this year, just because of the crop price and how good some of the crop looks out there? You
6: know, I, there's been, yeah. You know, in, in, but we've always had a pretty good fungicide market in Iowa. But yeah, this is the year. It just and you said it right for what, what inputs uh, are you know a guy has invested in the crop, what the commodity prices worth uh, are you know if there's every year that you're not you know you're you're thinking about doing you haven't already, this is the year. You know this is the year that uh uh there are, it doesn't take a lot of bushels uh to to pay for the application and and uh, uh this is definitely a definitely to me a, a, a year you don't chance it you spray it if, if you think you need
0: to yeah I know on our farm when I look at that crop price I go I don't care we're spraying twice and I'm worried <laughs> about tar spot you mentioned it already if it's in your area in Iowa is it here in South Dakota yes they found a little bit not much but I don't know is this going to be the year that really strikes I, I just I know this a lot of times these new diseases come in we're not prepared for it we get hit hard one or two years and then we go oh I guess I better do something about that. Well, <laughs> I, that's fine if you got two dollar corn, but when you have seven or eight dollar corn, I don't want that happening on our farm. So I'm a little worried. Yep. But anyway, hopefully, yeah. hopefully it'll turn out.
6: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm well. In, in the upside is, is we got tools to work with. I mean, tar spot is obviously you can, you, we can control it with, with fungicide. You know, we're we're still kind of specking a little bit if it's going to be one application or two, and, and really the only way we're going to know is is to scout it, keep an eye out for it. We're still anticipating that that you know beat you know tassel to R one is going to be part of that scenario.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. just a little concerned, Scott, because the guys that had it bad last year they all said they were way ahead when they sprayed a week or two before tassel, and then they hit it again if it was really bad. So,
5: right. we'll, we'll
0: see how this summer goes. Won't be long. We'll have to pull the trigger one way or the other. Uh, again, we've been talking with Scott Johnson. He's with the Cal Bazz Girl. Scott, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. You bet. All right, we're going to stay in Iowa. We've got Mike Wingrove on with us next. He's an agronomist down there. Hey, Mike, how are things in your area right now? Good. How are you? Excellent.
7: Um, our area is good. It's kind of been hot and dry this week. Yep. Looks the forecast looks to stay pretty warm. So.
0: All right. So we're talking corn leaf diseases and fungicides today. Our, 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 we were just talking about gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight? They've been in Iowa for years, but this new tar spot. Are you thinking about doing anything for tar spot with the guys you're working with, or what's that look like for you?
7: Yeah, you know, last year we saw some, we saw some in our area, and um, we've been we've been preaching to our our growers that we need to stay on top of it, scout, and be uh, proactive with our fungicide, and maybe not wait. Wait as long as we normally would um when we when we apply, just so we can stay ahead of the curve and um biggest thing is just keep scouting for it, so we can like I said stay ahead
0: of it. Have you heard anything from ag retailers in your area? Is anybody concerned about fungicide shortage or is that looking okay now?
7: Um I think it's looking okay now um they have they have majority of the fungicide that they need. And uh, I guess to me, it, it always is a big rush because it's hard to get a grower to totally commit to it until they start seeing the plants <laughs> and helicopters flying.
0: <laughs> yep. It's the same thing like in my area. Once one guy starts planting, everybody plants. So, yeah, we've seen that yeah, with okay. bug runs, uh, disease spraying, everything. So, yeah, I'm with you. All right. So it, are there any other diseases that you're thinking about as we go into this summer here besides gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and tar spot?
7: Um, in our area, those are the main three concerns that we we are focusing on. Um, but with our scouting, if we see some some other disease, obviously we will be proactive and treat it accordingly. As long as we're not too late, I guess. Which, if we scout early and often, we shouldn't we shouldn't fall behind, I guess.
0: Do you have anybody that sprays early for uh, trying to get these plant health benefits they talk about with the fungicides?
7: yeah um we have a, a few growers use the Zyway and furrow or and the two by two excuse yep. me and then um um we have a couple of them that do some v five b six applications
0: so, so and,
7: and then come back at tassel.
0: What have you seen out of the Zyway so far? did you see any last year and if so were were they getting disease resistant or i should say disease control well into the season
7: last year? From the zyway trials that we had, we saw uh, good good disease control throughout the whole season, and we didn't have to go back on on those acres with uh, the VT application, and we did that on our trials. Just we wanted to see the long season um, control, so and it turned out really well last year. So hopefully it will keep keep uh, keep things under control this year as well.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of guys are hoping for the same. It's one heck of a lot easier to just put that out of planting, and then you don't have to worry about it, don't have to call a plane, anything later on. So, yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Again, we've been talking with Mike Wingrove. He's an agronomist down in Iowa. Hey, Mike, thanks for the time. Really appreciate the insight. Hope to have you on again sometime. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. All right, so again, today on the show, we're talking a little about corn leaf diseases and fungicides, but if you've got any questions about that or anything else that's going on on your farm, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the agphd mailbag a little bit later in the show, but coming up next, we're going right back to the phone lines. Stay tuned.
3: When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH.
8: Case IH, built by farmers.
3: What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide, available for fall.
2: Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
0: Thanks for joining us here today on AgPHD Radio. My name is Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio. We're going to go right back to the phone lines. Got Rick calling in from the state of Michigan. Rick, I hear you got an update for us on how things are going on your farm.
7: Oh, yeah, that's what I told her. Um, Just that we're applying 28 today. Uh, We got about 40 guys hoeing weeds in a pepper field, a few weeds, and um, laying plastic for the late bell pepper. And uh, I hope you guys, I wish you guys the best this year. Uh, The corn over here in southwest Michigan is only maybe 12, 15 inches high, but it don't look bad, and... I wanted to mention that in the 40 years of me and my brother planting corn, we have never went out and sprayed a leaf. Not saying that maybe we should have in the past. We just never have. I don't know. You haven't um, you haven't sprayed
0: a leaf rare. disease, you're saying? Or, apply or, anything for foliage. For, you don't see much of that in our state so so it's so just so i'm clear here for so fungicide you're saying no you haven't ever sprayed a fungicide yeah, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. exactly. okay okay yeah, but anyway good luck to you guys tell your brother Darren we said hi and uh
7: very hot here today again very
0: <laughs> yeah, hot yeah we had that the last 3 days cooled off just a little bit today hey rick thanks a lot for the update really appreciate it Let's go next down to the state of Nebraska, get Travis Gustafson on with us. He's with Syngenta. Hey, Travis, what's the disease forecast looking like for your state this year?
9: Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, it's been pretty you know hot and dry this season, so it's hard to tell what we're going to see. But typically, in the past, we're worried about southern rust and gray leaf spot. Those would be the two primary. And then, um, you know, tar spot was... Uh, uh, confirmed in Nebraska last year, so that one's on our radar, and we're gonna watch it and see um, see what develops there. So that's those are kind of the top three that that are on the radar screen right now.
0: All right, so with Syngenta, you got a variety of. Uh, of fungicides that you could go with. And there are a couple like Mirvis Neo and Trivapro that are three modes of action, but what do you prefer when you're fighting these diseases? Which, which direction do you usually tell a guy to go in terms of a corn fungicide?
9: Right. That's a good question. We get all the time. Um, With, uh, so let's start off with Trivapro. Uh, Trivapro is going to be, you know, our, our recommendation in the Southern rust, uh, areas where you're, you're worried about southern rust. It is dynamite on southern rust and uh, it also does pretty good on tar spot. So some of those areas where you maybe have both that's one one unique thing about my geography is that we're likely going to be battling both southern rust and tar spot down the road. So yep. Triva Pro will do good on both and then um, Miravis Neo does great on southern rust. In fact I'd say if it wasn't for Triva Pro Miravis Neo would be the best southern rust fungicide on the market, uh, but Miravis Neo is going to be our primary recommendation for tar spot as well. So that's kind of how we would differentiate those two on corn.
0: Sure. So, um, so, so let me yeah. ask you this. We, we've got a lot of guys who are talking about with this tar spot deal spraying before tassel and then potentially having to spray three weeks later. Okay, well, if a guy does that, a lot of people are worried about, well, they hear rotation, rotation, rotation all the time and resistance and everything else. So, would you feel comfortable if, let's say, it was, oh, I'm going to go with TrivaPro first, and then I'm going to go with Pro a second time? Or should they use something different?
9: I'm comfortable with that recommendation because um, when we're looking at, say, a growing corn canopy, that first application is going to hit different leaves than that second application. And, uh, we need to protect the whole plant. So, you know, even though we might uh, be putting the same product on the same acre, the same year, you know, two times, uh, it's going to be hitting different leaves and, and, uh, you know, even different environments. Um, three weeks later, it could be more humidity, more leaf wetness, more prone for uh, disease development than it was three weeks prior. And, uh, So I'm comfortable with that recommendation to do the same product twice, uh, you know, with a three-week delay in between. Um, It it, it could, you know, down the road, we'll probably run the risk of some um, resistances showing up, but that's that's a fact of life with everything. And uh, I want to make sure that we got the disease controlled rather than getting um, some stuff show up later.
0: Well, it has to help a lot, though, when you have three different modes of action in there, in terms of having any resistance issues. Doesn't that lessen the chance, like dramatically?
9: Yeah, absolutely. When we when we have two uh, phenomenal residual preventative pieces on the leaf, um, you've you've got two modes of action. Both of those, the, both Trivapro and Miravis Neo have two preventative, long residual modes of action built in, and uh, so those two are going to drive a lot of disease control. Uh, and, and hit it with a one-two punch. So that, that gives us extra confidence to run that kind of a, a two-pass program, so to speak, for um, tar
0: spot. All right. One of the words you used was preventative. And my concern when I hear people talk about scouting for disease is that they're going to end up being too late because nobody scouts as thoroughly as we could. And it always seems like it takes a few days then to get the applicator out there and that kind of thing. So when you're in an area like yours with really high yield potential, you've had a history of Southern rust, gray leaf spot, now tar spots moving in. What What is your standard recommendation for a year like this year? Do you tell guys to spray before they see anything? Do you want them to wait until they see something? What, what's what's your best advice?
9: We we tell guys uh, to spray before they see anything. Um, usually right around that tassel time, when tassels come out, that's when we're telling people to pull the trigger and put the fungicide on. The, the great thing about Miravis Neo and Triva Pro is that they have extremely long residuals and from the preventative standpoint, so we apply once, it's hassle time, and it's going to last us all the way through pollination and grain fill, and um, typically we don't have to come in and retreat if we apply before we see anything. Now, I've seen times when we have made an application after Southern Rust has moved in, and then those two products aren't as effective as they were if they were put on before we saw anything. So, highly highly recommend applying a fungicide before we see anything.
0: All right. On a completely different note here, every once in a while, we'll get a farmer who says, well, why can't I just put my fungicide on with my pivot? You're in a state with a lot of pivots. Can you maybe explain that just a little bit, why a farmer isn't probably going to want to do that and instead put it on with a ground rig or a plane?
9: Yeah, uh, we have a lot of people running chemigation uh, systems out here. And uh, what I tell people is that uh, when you're putting chemical into a pivot, you're diluting it down into a huge amount of gallons of water. And when you have a really diluted product on the leaf surface, it's not that concentration in the leaf, in the water droplet on the leaf is not going to really drive that fungicide into the leaf. Say, then say if you had like a two gallon per acre application from an airplane, you have a much higher concentration of fungicide in that droplet and that pushes fungicide into the leaf where we need it. And that's the primary reason that I'll, or primary thing I'll explain to people of chemigation versus airplanes. Um, the other thing is when you're chemigating, we have to minimize that water application as much as possible. So, you know, I'll tell people to run that pivot at 100% speed. Try and put on less than a quarter of an inch of water so that we're not running too much water off the leaf and into the, into the soil. Um, yeah, but those to, are the two things I, I tell people about it. Yeah,
0: to your point, even if you're running a tenth of an inch, I mean, you're over 2,000 gallons of water per acre as opposed to, like That's you correct. said, two or maybe the ground rig 10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, All we've right. been talking with Travis Gustafson here. He's down in Nebraska, works for Syngenta down there. Travis, hey, thanks a lot for the time today. I really appreciate it and uh, hope things turn out well for you down there this year.
9: All right, thanks a lot.
0: You bet. Thank you. We were talking with uh, with Travis about Trivapro and Miravis Neo, and I hadn't brought this up yet during the show. But there are a lot of fungicides out there, and I I know sometimes I'm talking to farmers who are like, uh, "How am I supposed to decide? I got eighty seven different products here. What what do you want me to use?" Look, there aren't that many, but there there are probably ten or twelve great fungicides that you can use in corn, and I don't have a real big problem with whatever direction you want to go. It's just we'd like you to find products with multiple modes of action, and if it, sure, if it's a three-way like TrivaPro or Mirvis Neo 3 modes of action, it's probably fine to use that product back-to-back, so in other words, twice in one season. If you're only using a one or two mode of action product, we'd really highly encourage you to find a different mode of action or two to rotate to that second time. All right, we'll keep talking corn leaf diseases and fungicides coming up next.
4: Maximum application flexibility. Maximum yields at harvest, whether or not. Relentless is the kind of control you'll always get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Low use rate Anthem Max Herbicide protects corn and soybean crops from the toughest broadleaf weeds and grasses, including water hemp, palmer pigweed, foxtails, crabgrass, and more. Dual modes of action and lasting overlapping residuals also help you minimize resistance in your fields. It's easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window make Anthem Max Herbicide the crop protection choice that's ready when you are. Rain or shine, whether or not, relentless. That's Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
8: Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free AgPHD Field Day.
2: When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label
4: instructions.
0: Welcome back, this is Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, and we're broadcasting the show today from the Morton Studio, just talking corn leaf diseases and fungicides. Next on, we've got Nick Hustady with us. He's with FMC out in Indiana. Hey, Nick, how are you today?
5: Hey, Brian, not too bad.
0: All right, so being from Indiana, I'm sure you've seen a lot of tar spot here in the last few years. Tell us about that disease just a little bit, if you would.
5: Yeah, so we really first started dealing with it Um, in 2015 kind of closer to the Great Lakes and so it's slowly progressed south and we picked it up in Gibson County which is kind of the southwest part of the state this past season under a pivot so initially we thought it would kind of prefer the cooler environment in the northern part of the state but what we're learning is the leaf wetting periods are really driving it at the inoculums there.
0: Okay, so what's the management strategy for a lot of guys in your area then? What are they doing to hopefully have a little less tar spot as they go through the season?
5: Well, timing is critical. So, I mean, you can take the very best foliar fungicide and time it poorly, and it's not going to look great on tar spot. So for really following some of the university direction in terms of there's a tar spotter app that kind of helps model the disease progression. But scouting is extremely critical. And in our area, we've got a complex of many different diseases. Uh, We'll get gray leaf spot annually. Um, A lot of times we'll have southern rust blow up as well. And so our recommendation for southern rust and tar spot is effectively the same. So we're really focused on trying to manage are gray and northern maybe with a Zylay application at plant, or perhaps a Top Guard or Top Guard EQ application and a V10 type of application, and then we're trying to push that foliar treatment in terms of the R stage back to R2, and that has successfully helped us more effectively manage those late season aggressive pathogens like tar spot.
0: I realize that at this point, Zylay is not labeled on tar spot, but are you seeing any sort of better tolerance in that plant? Are you seeing a little suppression on tar spot? Are you seeing anything out of Zyway?
5: Yes, that's interesting that you asked that. We've been getting that question pretty frequently here lately. And what we've seen in a lot of our university research is the initial rating. So a lot of times our researchers will go out and rate about R2, uh, maybe R3. And we can see a slight suppression in terms of the number of lesions out there. But when they come back at black layer, if you just let XioA ride, it doesn't look any different than the check. So how we see this um, effectively positioned is it buys us a little bit more time to be timely with that you know, R2 application, for example, of uh, pick your poison type of foliar application.
0: All right. Speaking of foliar applications, with FMC, you got a couple different options. What are you usually telling people for these diseases that you've now mentioned. You've said gray leaf spot, southern rust, northern corn leaf blight, and tar spot.
5: Yeah, so our main recommendation is going to be, again, the plant, we're really trying to manage our stalk rots, crown rots, as well as the gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight with that treatment. And then we're typically going to recommend top guard EQ at five ounces in that RQ type application to finish the season on, um, you know, maybe tar bottle or Southern dust, you know, we are kind of up against some limitations in terms of the season max use rate for food And so we could run a full rate of Zyway on the front end, but then we can't come back with any more Futriafol containing product in the, you know, our stage application. So, you know, you, you could run a, a full rate of Zyway and come back with like a Veltema treatment or Moravis Neo or Pro, you name it. Um, a lot of different directions you could go with that post sure. app.
0: So why do you pick top guard EQ instead of lacento for example?
5: Yeah, it kind of varies a little bit based upon the disease spectrum. So in southern Indiana, I would say that we're starting to get southern rust a little bit more frequently and in my own personal opinion, we've got a little bit more corn production in the mid-south than what we used to have, so it kind of creates a nursery for the southern rust spores to move up. And we've got a pretty good handle on azoxystrobin or, or quadris, which would be a component of top EQ. dq very effective on, on southern rust. Now, that, that's kind of where we, we recommend that. And then also in a corn production acre, folks typically like to take advantage of that plant health type benefit from yeah. a stroberian-containing product. And, you know, Lacento is a very, very good leaf spot material, so gray and, and northern. Um, we can see a little bit of plant health out of it, but probably not quite as much as what we might expect out of TopGuard EQ.
0: Yeah, so the difference, just for our listeners, in the Lacento you've got an SDHI component. In the TopGuard EQ, you've got the strabilurin component. So either way you go, Lacento or Guard, you've got that flutriafol that you mentioned. So the triazole that's in there, real good, long-lasting one. Uh, Nick, anything else you want to leave us with today, talking about corn leaf diseases and fungicides?
5: Well, I guess one thing I might mention is, you know, we kind of had a stretched out planting window, which seems to be typical anymore in my territory, (laughs) you know, we've got anywhere from V2 corn uh, all the way out to V10 corn. And obviously that V10 corn is canopied now. And so we know that that's an environment that's going to be more conducive to hold the moisture and create those leaf wetting periods that are going to, you know, typically drive disease. So very important to get out and scout. Uh, we do have kind of a dry spell happening in our area right now, but there's a couple chances for rain here in the next 10 days. So certainly we want to watch those fields that are canopied now, but also as we planted later on some of these fields, typically that's an environment where we are going to see a little bit more disease pressure. So as the season progresses, we need to be mindful of kind of what's going on. Watch for Southern rust. It's actually been confirmed in um, Arkansas, and Louisiana, and that's where a lot of our inoculum comes from. So we're typically watching those university blogs to see, you know, when it shows up in Kentucky, uh, it's a pretty good indication that we probably need to start preparing to make some applications for southern rust.
0: Yep, yep, definitely. Well, that's Nick Hustady. He's with FMC over in Indiana. Nick, thanks for the time today. Appreciate having you on the show.
5: Yeah, you bet. Yep, appreciate the opportunity.
0: All right, it's time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. All right, we got Darren back on with us, and first thing, actually before we even get to mailbag, I should have mentioned, gall midge larvae. There is now a an update network for gall midge flights, so I just wanted to let you know about that. This alert network is based out of the University of Nebraska. So far, gall midge has been limited to South Dakota, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Iowa, but we just never know when it's going to move to soybean fields in other states. So I would just encourage you to check that out. You can go to University of Nebraska's information on gall midge and sign up for their alerts. I know they've been getting some hatches lately in terms of flies. The flies are are moving around. Darren, what have you heard about that?
1: Well, I'd say this too, Brian. It is down into uh, the northwestern corner of Missouri now, and I find it very interesting when maps have a distinct line at the Kansas border and at the North Dakota border. (laughs) And we've given the entomologists in those states a hard time. You're sure you aren't seeing any yet? They're like, no confirmed reports. So I I know how that goes because I've spotted things a year or two before the, the state would acknowledge that they exist. So I'm betting there's some down into Kansas and some up into North Dakota as well. So this is a spreading problem.
0: All right. Our next question is from, or our first question is from Gary over in Minnesota. He says, Hi guys. I planted conventional alfalfa and worked in some Eptam first, but now I see some giant ragweeds coming through. I was just wondering how can I clean those up? Oh, and by the way, I also have some grass starting to show up. Well, look, Gary, don't get too worried. Number one, Giant ragweed's easily controlled with buck trill. Uh and The generic, there's no name brand bucktril anymore, so you have to use a, a generic like Brox. Problem is, it's a 30-day pre-harvest interval. Same thing with like clethodim. We were talking about using clethodim on our farm even yesterday to kill some volunteer corn because you can use clethodim to clean up that grass you have. 15-day pre-harvest interval with clathidim. So my point here is if you're going to be cutting soon, I would just cut. Darren, you want to comment on that real quick because we were just talking to our local dairy about this issue yesterday.
1: Well, I I want to add this too, Brian, because more than the pre-harvest interval, I'm looking at this. We want weeds that are small. That way they have a small root system as well and limited numbers of growing points. When you have grass that gets big, it tillers out. Now you've got multiple growing points there. It's much more difficult to control. And the same with giant rag. So with all these weed control issues, especially in conventional alfalfa, you have to scout early and catch them early.
0: All right. Well, thanks for the question, Gary. Hopefully things will turn out fine for you on your farm. Stay tuned. We've got some more of your questions coming up next in the Ag PhD Mailbag. We'll be right back.
3: There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler fungicide unleashes the power of the plant microbiome and multiple modes of action to deliver extended, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. With all the advantages of no residue, zero PHI, minimal REI, and take mix flexibility, get the fiercest, most effective protection available with Howler fungicide, a product of AgBiome. Learn more at agbiome.com howler.
5: With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com.
2: Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farmshop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for
8: more.
5: pentair hypro ultra low drift nozzles are your ideal choice for the enlist e3 herbicide system with coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90 percent less drift uld nozzles meet all required standards for enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides learn more at pentair.com hypro
2: when it comes to mites in your field you can't afford a solution that might work that's why there's ZealPro pro miticide from valent usa with next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: It's the Ag Mailbag, where we answer your questions. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at... If I'd quit hitting my microphone here, radio at agphd.com. All right, so let's see. Next question here. This one comes all the way from India. Uh, Naresh asks, can fertilizers be used by spraying not mixing chemical fertilizers in the soil in a soybean crop. Darren, you want to take that one? Yeah, you sure can fully feed a liquid. You can
1: also dribble it alongside the plant. Uh, There's a lot of different ways that you can put liquid fertilizer on. When we think about some of the nutrients like nitrogen, they move down through the soil very well. Uh, Other nutrients like phosphorus do not. And some move through the leaf very well so if you fold your feet and get some on the tissue that's fine others can really burn leaf tissue Uh, things like nitrogen and copper that you can overdo and and they can burn leaf tissue so you do have to be careful normally we're putting low doses of fertilizer on when we go on leaf foliage but liquid products there there's a lot of different ones out there some are safer than others so just start slow start cautiously uh, and work your way up
0: all right, I got an interesting one here from Andrew. He says we farm in Pennsylvania, and here's my, my issue. I've got some on my soil test, and he sent us some soil tests, but he just said in some spots where the organic matter is higher, the cation exchange capacity is actually lower. I thought that organic matter was a big part of cation exchange capacity. Darren, you got this one? Um, I think you cut out there on me, but when you look at
1: organic matter and organic organic material, they're two different things. So if there's lots of plant residue on top of the ground, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got high levels of organic matter in the soil.
0: True, but in this case, he's got like a 7.6% organic matter in one spot and only a cation exchange capacity of 57 And the very next test... Is only five point three percent organic matter, yet a thirteen cation exchange capacity. So the way I see this, it's basically he's just got more clay in the area that's got Correct. a higher cation exchange capacity, and more sand in the area with the lower. So yes, organic matter is a part of it, but it's not certainly not all of it.
1: Well, that's the important. They talk about the three things that make up organic matter and uh, type of clay, of clay, amount of clay,
0: and amount of organic matter. Yes.
6: Yes,
1: yes. I make up the CEC, I should
0: have said. Sorry. Yep, yep. I knew what you meant. I'm sure our listeners did as well. All right, let's go to the next one here. Uh, Here's another one that's kind of interesting, where Adam has a question on soil test, and he says, "Um, I've got higher parts per million of K, but not higher percent on my base saturation test. So can you explain that just a little bit Uh, when I compare K to magnesium? Sorry. So he's got a higher potassium versus magnesium on parts per million, uh, but yet the magnesium percentage is much higher. So how can that possibly be? Well, look, um, Adam, when they send these or, or when they do these tests for base saturation, I know it seems a little weird, but what they're looking at is the atomic weight valence times 10, and then they calculate the thing out. So basically it's how much do each of these things weigh? And I, I know it just, it seems really weird, but that's just kind of the way it is. So I, I, I wouldn't get that worried about it. We, you just kind of want to go with the ranges that we're talking about where we will often say, hey, we want to shoot for at least four percent organic or four percent base saturation k, four to eight percent, something like that. Magnesium, we want to be in that 12 to 20 percent range somewhere along those lines. and, and so on. But yeah, the, the reason why the the difference there, it's you're looking at atomic weight prevalence, times 10, and then you, you you calculate this thing out. So at our soils clinics, for example, we'll pull up the uh, a little spreadsheet, so then you can plug your numbers in, and then you could actually figure out your base saturation percentage yourself. But that is the reason why we've got that difference there. All right, next one comes in, this is from Josh, and he just wanted to give us a little report on his corn here. He says I've, I strip-tilled a field of corn. It's now about two and a half to three feet tall, and he says four or five collars. Um, if it's two and a half to three feet tall with only four or five collars, that's really big corn for four or five collar corn. But anyway, he said we had. To, oh, I see why now. He says we had some hail damage from early emergence visible at the top of the plant. So this is actually kind of interesting, and I'm glad you you sent this, Josh, because. Sometimes just looking at the above ground parts, we might think it's only at four to five collar, but if it, if it got some hail early, it could actually be at seven or eight or nine collar. And so you don't want that to be misleading to you to think, oh, I could still go spray Banvel. It's only at four or five collars. No, it's really not. And you can figure this out a little bit better by looking, digging up below ground and stuff, but it is kind of hard to get this determined. Anyway, he says, I took side dress nitrate samples and uh, I, all the way down to 24 inches. I've only applied about 165 pounds of nitrogen so far, and I've got 3% organic matter. Well, I'm, I'm hoping I get 225 bushel per acre corn. I'm concerned about the lack of rain in the forecast for top-dressing extra nitrogen if needed. So, Josh, I would say this. I am concerned about that as well. It does take some water to get that nitrogen down into the ground. I don't care what form of nitrogen you use. You've got to have moisture. So what we will a lot of times try to do is time it where we say, ooh, there's a good chance of rain on, let's call it Friday. All right, we're going to probably put most of our in on like Wednesday, Thursday, and maybe Friday morning before that rain comes. If the forecast over the next week is calling for no rain whatsoever, then we're probably going to put a stabilizer with that nitrogen. Or the other thing that we'll do, like just this morning, we were out injecting nitrogen down into the ground with coulters. So that's one way around that thing. So then we can get it down into the soil where we actually have some nitrogen. All right. Next question comes from Jay and Lori from michigan they're coming to our ag phd field day and they were wondering about cca credits do you have or how many cca credit opportunities do you have at this year's field day look we designed the field day for farmers and so while we love having agronomists and love having people with ccas certified crop advisors uh, we don't necessarily have anything all set up for them now i'm sure you could fill out the paperwork and get credit for that but no we don't have anything set for that up front. All right, next one comes from Matthew who says, I'm a licensed pesticide applicator. I work in grassland and woodland nature, uh, natural areas. I think it bears mentioning Tordon is inappropriate for applying in natural areas, especially where it's a priority to preserve native wildflowers. In these situations, it's better to use Plateau, or equivalent. Some some people use method with good success. Uh, and also you can put in some MSO to get a little better stick and spread. Look, Matthew, we agree with you. If you're trying to save trees or wildflowers or anything that Tordon would be hard on, yes, Tordon's an inappropriate choice. I've actually had people spray Tordon in town and I'm going... Oh wow. Do you know do you realize how long that tordons going to last? It's going to be there for 10 years probably. You can't plant a tree there, you can't plant a flower there. You got to be really careful with some of these herbicides. I mean, granted we love having products with great residual like Tordon, but you just have to be careful about where you use that. All right. And then last one here, this one's from Michael. He says, "Can I use Resicore or Harness Max on sweet corn?" Michael, unfortunately, no. No, you can't use Resicor or Harness Max on sweet corn. Neither one of those is labeled. There are plenty of other products that are labeled. So just just pick one of those. Go with something different, but not uh, uh, not either one of those two, Resicor or Harness Max. Um, oh, I was just looking at uh, yeah, they printed something on both sides of the page. I'll have to get to that question tomorrow. I'll set that to the side. But anyway, before before we go, I just wanted to say. We do have our Scouting and Scholarships event coming up this Saturday. It's right on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota, right at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. But our Scouting and Scholarships event is focused on spending time out in the field, scouting in a bunch of different stations, different crops, and talking about everything from weeds, diseases, insects, you name it, soil testing. And we are giving away over 60 post-secondary scholarships, so basically college, post-secondary, uh, those scholarships, those will all be awarded this Saturday. Please go to agphd.com to learn more about that. And if you know anyone that's going to post-secondary, any post-secondary school, have them attend our event. It absolutely will be well worth their time. And even for you, if you're a farmer, you can certainly join us at our event. I'm sure you we'll get a lot out of it as well. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to our production staff. My sister Janelle was running the controls, and we'll see you again tomorrow.